Inside Books with Breda Brown. Welcome to Inside Books, a programme about the magical world of writing. I'm Breda Brown and in each episode of Inside Books we chat to people associated with the world of books, including well-known authors, publishers, editors, agents, critics, booksellers and more. You'll find Inside Books on all of the main platforms and our Twitter handle is at InsideBooksIRE, where you'll also find lots of other interesting books news. My guest today is historical fiction author Nicola Cassidy. From Drogheda in County Louth, she has written three books, December Girl, The Nanny at number 43, and now Adele, an intriguing book about Fred Astaire's sister. Nicola has been longlisted and shortlisted for a range of writing prizes and has also written a play which was a finalist in the Wexford Literary Festival. Nicola, your new book, Adele, it has a really interesting premise. As we said, it's a it's a biofictional format about the life of the Astaire family with a huge focus on Adele Astaire but first of all probably you need to remind us who was Fred Astaire? Fred Astaire was who I would consider one of the most famous dancers the world has ever seen. He was um, most famous for his tap dancing. Um, I suppose we know Michael Flatley these days for his Irish kind of tap dancing, but he would have been an even bigger star than that back. Um, Really, he started as a child star, but he would have made his mark in the movies and the old Hollywoods. He's a really old Hollywood legend. um, And himself and Ginger Rogers would be a very well-known dancing partnership through Hollywood. And he's become an icon in himself that um, even though he passed away in the 1980s, people would still remember him as that classic Hollywood era and he's become a legend I think. And how did you end up writing about his sister really as opposed to him? Um, Because nobody had and really? yeah, I'd seen um, a documentary and it was a BBC documentary about Chatsworth House in um, the UK and Adele, his sister, his older sister, had married into that family and that was the first time I'd ever heard of her. Um, and in the documentary, they just talked briefly about her life and her connection to Ireland. She'd come to live in Ireland and I just got interested in this, that she was of the Astaire family. And when I looked into it, there was only Fred and Adele. And Adele had this amazing life, was even more famous than he was in the 1920s when they were up and coming. And then when she got married, disappeared kind of off the face of, of our memory. Um, so I wanted to, when I looked into her, really I looked her up first and I did a bit of research and then I realised there is a story here and there is a novel here. And um, it sat in the back of my mind then for a few years until I finally got it out. I got <laughs> around now. And how did you research it then? Um, well, the first thing I turned to, so my protocol is always to look what's out there at the minute um, and always like look for um, non-fiction books. And I found what became my Astaire Bible. It's a book by Kathleen Riley and she had done extensive research into their lives, mostly their early lives. Um, And she had, that was my starting point. I read that cover to cover and from that I could get the different strands of her life and then go and research them myself even more. So um, the number, two things I took really from that book, one was the Astaire archives, which are in Boston. Um, Adele had no connection to Boston, but all their papers were left to a particular library there. So I visited that. And the second really was Lismore Castle in County Waterford and she spent so much of her life and her time there she remodeled the castle and everything and um, I got finally got to visit and tour it and from that I got people who actually knew Adele and got to interview them as well. And that's what I was going to say did you talk to people because I was wondering were many of them still alive? No um, I found so Adele um, stopped her last visit to Ireland was 1979 which is before I was born even and um, there is people alive who would have been young when they worked with her um, I did track down a friend of hers but who, who said he wouldn't speak to me so there was, oh, you know, there was, was some dead avenues it was disappointing because I think maybe he thought I was going to try and 
uh, I don't know, maybe do something to her memory that maybe he, he just said she was my friend and I don't want to speak with her, about her. And I, you just have to go, that's fine because, you know, respect her memory. But um, the, the archives were probably the biggest. There was a little bit of newspaper coverage about her glamorous lifestyle um, and then the book and the visits and trying to get the colour then around, around her story. So... Now, it is a novel, but it's a mixture of fact and fiction. Yeah, so um, usually my previous books, I've taken a bit of a story and created a whole fictional book out of it. This was the first one where I had to really structure it based on her life. Everything in there about her is, is true as, fo- as far as factual time events um, and incidents that happened to her. What I had to fill in was the colour in between and, and her thoughts. But even the colour and her thoughts, I... I read her personal diaries and they're freely available in, in the library. Um, and there was a wealth of kind of personal information and her feelings and her emotion. And she was a very emotional type character, very gregarious, outgoing, fiery type of character. And she would, she would, she would pull no punches. So she was very interesting to write about. So it wasn't really difficult even to get into her character once I had read those. And um, when you read somebody's handwriting, when you read somebody's diary, you're inside their head. And to have access to that, then it was easy for me to really write the book. Probably just felt like a personal connection then. I really did. And I still do. And um, I, it, funny, I think about her and I don't even know if if me and her met, would we even get on? I don't even know if it's that type of, I think I'd be afraid of her. She was that right. type of person. Yeah, she was really, and I, I got some information like from people who worked her in the castle with, you know, maybe the house girls and everything. And people were a little bit afraid of her. She was that type of character. Um, she wasn't mean, but she just would tell you what she thought. And, you know, she, um, I just, I think I would have been afraid of her a little bit. So, And you move through various timelines as well in this book. So was that difficult? Um, it, for me, the most difficult thing was how much do you put in? Because I ha- I was starting her life from the age of um, five up till up till her four. I ended up around her forties, age of the forties. Um, but I knew a lot more, and even after that, she had such an interesting life because um, she started hanging out with the uh, Kennedys. You know, she. It was, there was more to her life after that and I, and I really almost wanted to put that in but I had to draw a line at some point because otherwise then it's just a blow by blow account of her life and I wanted to pick I wanted to show her early life Fred her Fred and her connection and her connection to Ireland and once I got all those covered I was happy then And in terms of I suppose making sure that the setting and everything was true to the time period how did you do that especially in the pieces that you were making up essentially well, It was different for me with the this time because it was from the 1920s and my previous books were in the ni- late 19th century um, so I mean I had to go to like authentic cocktail bars and drink the vintage cocktails oh, things like that like yes. I really had to get into it like, you know it's just it's just typical research like I I had to kind of spend a bit of time learning about prohibition and things that it, things that we think we know when you actually look at the history of it um, are not as straight as straightforward and also this was said a lot of it said in the United States I don't have you know I haven't written about that before so I had to be careful and look up you know trying to get my facts right as much as possible but as well as that I'm really sticking to their emotions and the fact that they've a lot of it said on the stage and I have some limited kind of musical experience myself of performing and stage and um, things like playing in bands and things like that really helped me imagine what it's like when you're about to step out on stage. I know it's a different audience and things, but you know, a lot of if if you feel unprepared or if you are prepared, you can kind of go through the same emotions. So, and why did you choose historical fiction as a genre? We see why not because um, <laughs> I was thinking answer. about this the other day. I was thinking about if you, if I write contemporary, I have only a small window that I can write in. It's um it's now it's a few years ago. 
that's such a limited time. If I choose historical fiction, I have hundreds of years that I can write about. And obviously you're not going to do that. You're going to pick times that appeal to you. And what always appealed to me was late 19th century. Um, and it could even have been something like when I was young, I just liked the dresses or I liked the this draw of this world. Um, and it was always with me and I was always interested in it, even writing about it when I was young. Um, so that's why, I mean, it's, it's more like it, it, it chose me, but I just find it such a fascinating world really that it's especially the late 19th century they were they were like us but they weren't they were they were on the cusp of modernity with all their modern you know you know mod- motor cars and things were starting to come in but they had all their Victorian values and was, and you see even if you watch Downton Abbey and watch the hemlines coming up each year and each decade I just love that um what people were going through, how they were becoming the modern people that we are today. And when did you actually start writing? You've said before that you were an avid reader as a child and entered short story competitions. What age were you? Um, I won my first competition when I was 11, I think. Oh, right, really? Yeah, um, I was an on-post competition and I think I didn't win it. I came runner-up and then I was thinking back on this when I was in uh, 14 and I think at that age I won a couple of competitions in school and in I was printed in the RTE guide and there was I was always quite competitive with my writing as in I was so passionate about it I would send it out I was always sending protest letters off to magazines Oh really? <laughs> about what? <laughs> Anything I didn't like, like I was I was a real um, especially animal animal rights I was a member of the RSPCA when I was young and I would send letters off about bullfighting and anything that annoyed me and I, I couldn't understand how anyone would be against Greenpeace you know um, I didn't Was writing a channel then to get all of that out? Maybe? Yeah I used it as um, I could I could communicate very easily through writing and possibly not as much through talking and um, I used it as a as an outlet for yeah for expression and then I, because I probably I was sending it out not expecting to get anywhere just because I wanted to and I felt like it was the right thing to do. And then when I did start getting places, that probably just encouraged me even more. And you study journalism? Yes. How did that go? Grant. <laughs> <laughs> um, move on, Brita, no, move no, on. No, I know I loved it. I, I loved it at the time and um, great kind of training um, across like many different fields. And it probably for writing wise made me a very clean writer. I always say that, that... Um, Usually I find it hard to fill the page because my, my sentences are short and succinct and all that kind of training. But what it, it did for, for anyone who's t- trying to be a fiction writer, which I went into that course thinking I want to be a writer, um, it knocks all that out of you because you're going to come at a journalist who was able to write a factual story. Um, so for me, I lost my creative kind of thread of thought. Really? and Yeah, it, it really damaged my imagination. As also, by the time I came out of college, I was nowhere near the person I'd gone in at, say, leaving cert level, whereas writing, you know, extensive short stories. I didn't touch creative writing until I was in my mid-twenties then again about a good few years later. All right. So it really, you know, stymied your, your Absolutely. growth. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's only looking back in it that I can see that. Um, so it took me a while to kind of draw out that imagination again. And um, I, I took some courses with the Irish Writers' Centre after work. And that, the other thing is after college, you go into maybe a serious career. So that's taken up your time. Um, but I finally, you know, I found my way back. But so I would say if you want to be a, cre- a creative writer, I don't think journalism is is the way to go. And interestingly, we would have had other authors on who said journalism really helped them mm. um, in terms of being creative, in terms of uh, deadlines and getting content down onto the page. So it really just depends on your own personality. Yeah, I just think it was too factual for me. You know, um, I, I probably would have been better doing an English degree or an arts degree and then working another job and then really studying creative writing on my own time, you know. Well, you got there in the end. I did. <laughs> <laughs> and you started blogging at this point. Yeah, I started blogging then um, in my late 20s. 
and again it wasn't something I was really familiar with but blogging for me was more working towards writing because I was blogging I was writing every day or every couple of days and I was putting deadlines on myself I committed to maybe posting something every Sunday I did a series with writers so I was getting to interview writers and I'd have to have it out on a Sunday so that was my type of deadline and that was just a passion project it was there was no money involved really um so that's and also just honing your voice then I got to realize how I like to express myself what worked you know don't ramble on all, all different things of, of kind of good practice yeah the only thing is with blogging is nobody's editing your work you're just putting it out there um, so you would get reaction maybe from people you'd, you'd kind of know if something was working but it was good practice yeah and when did you start writing your first book that was December Girl after my first baby was born and I was on maternity leave do everything at the same time Nicola why not <laughs> well if you're working a job this is the thing like if you look back on it I was working um, as a marketing manager and it was very intensive job, um, a lot of hours. And when I did get my time off the weekends, I was just flaked. I had no energy. I had no time for anything else. When I went on my maternity leave, even though it was crazy busy with a newborn, I did have a little bit more time and a bit more headspace. I wasn't in the work zone, but my brain was still very active. So that's when I, I turned, and I have been blogging. So blogging was still there, but then I went, you know, I'm going to, I set myself the challenge of writing a book. And I'd always wanted to write a book anyway. It wasn't a new thought. How long did it take? Um... Re- I had two starts. So the first time I got to 30,000 words and could not get past that. And I started, I did the first chapter of The Nanny then at that point. And then I went back to it. And I think I wrote the first draft in nine weeks then. Right. But I scrapped the 30,000 words I had done. Really? Yeah. And I I didn't scrap them fully, but I, I realised I'd almost written the whole book in 30,000 words. And then I realised I needed to pull it all apart and pace it. And even after that, there was a few rewrites. It still wasn't um, ready to go. You know, it took me probably the guts of a year, a year and a half to get that ready to go. Um, but I, in that time, was developing how I write a novel. So it was quicker the next time around. And what was your publishing journey like? Um, so I got an agent pretty quickly. Right. And um, we went on submission and we could not place it for a long time. Um, and then finally, I got it placed with uh, Bombshell Books, who are, they're actually, they've merged back with Bloodhound Books, who are a crime publisher in the UK, Digital First. And I was delighted just that somebody said, yes, we will publish your work. Um, so I was published online first. I wasn't in the shops or anything like that. Um, only locally, I was able to put my own copies out And there. were you happy with that? Because a lot of authors say they want to see the book on the shelves. Um, I was happy. I didn't want to go down self-publishing. I just wanted to, somebody to publish me and say, we support your writing. We're going to get behind you. I was very happy to be published at all. Um, I'm obviously since published traditionally and I'm, I am I do like that you're out in the shops. And I, I can definitely see because... I always think, because I read on Kindle, I always think everyone else does. A lot of people don't. And um, I'm definitely reaching more readers by being in the shops, for sure. And that initial deal, was that a two book deal or a three book deal? Just one. Okay. Yeah. And then um, I was was happy with that because I wanted to get a traditional deal. And um, then shortly after we went on submission with my second book, I signed a pool bag then for three book deal. So that was the nanny at number 43. So that was a three book deal. Yeah. So it's my first pool bag. So I have... Adele now with Poolbag as well and I have another one to deliver. Okay, how do you feel about that? Great. No, <laughs> no, because I really relaxed when I got the three books. I was like, that's grand and I could just write my three. Off I go and do what I want, have to do and then have the time to promote and everything. So um, it's given me freedom to write because um, I, do, I just don't have to be worrying about where the next deal is coming from. You know, at the moment, it's I can just settle in and write. And how did you find moving from one publisher to another? Um... 
I mean, there was, but I broke it on, I got on very well. I think for me with pool bag, it was so much more kind of hands on. I could go up to the office, um, I could meet them, I could, we could talk through plans, you know, even getting up to sign your books and be at the end of the phone or an email, you know, just that little distance being an, an Irish publisher. Um, and they're hugely supportive and very, I find they're very engaged with what I think and they believe in me not just as a writer but what else I have to say because I suppose work in marketing as well I'd have a flair for lots of different things and they don't see that as a hindrance at all they're they're behind me and it, it works really well I'm very happy you know And in terms of the books as you said they're all historical fiction but interestingly all of them Adele obviously as well the one that's on the shelves at the moment they're all inspired by real life events yeah. in some way, shape or form. So the nanny at number 43, what what happened there? So um, there's two strands to that story. One is um, Mary Ann Cotton, who was a child murderer in the UK and she was estimated to have killed 400 um, babies. I think that's the one or is that Amelia Dyer? I have two, I have lots of child killers in my mind. Right, okay. <laughs> no, Moving was, swiftly no, on. There was, there was poisonous women in the, in the 1800s. I'd read about them and watched documentaries and they inspired this, you know, this evil type of woman character that, that I have in The Nanny. Um, but the other story was that um, I'd, I'd taken a walking tour in Drogheda and they, one part of the tour they talked about at this house there were two. There was a baby found in a suitcase under the bed, and women were disposing of their children because of you know, illegitimacy and all the stigma around it at the time. So that stuck with me, and that was the opening of my book. Then, so I'll take bits from that really happened, um, so that they. It's like they say, you know, um, truth is stranger than fiction. So I, I tried to take some of that truth and then create the fiction around it. And obviously, going from the first book to the second book to the third, um, how did you find going from one to the other? Did you, did it get easier or harder? Easier. Right. Why? Um, December was definitely the f- hardest because I had never achieved a novel length work. Um, I didn't know if I could do it. I didn't know if it was going to be good enough. I found pacing very difficult. Um and then come the second novel, I knew what way I worked and what way I structured my time because I don't write every day. And I, I tend to do a lot of research and thinking and then I write in a burst and I don't plot either. So oh, do you not? No, not really. I have um, my story at the start and I'm that's it. Yeah, I just sit down and I write it then and my story will develop as I write. So I've just come to understand how I work and I know going into my next book even in my moments of despair, I'll get through it and I will have my book at the end of it. Really? Because again, a lot of people, authors that we have on would say they'll sit down, they may know the beginning and the end and they'll figure out the middle as they go along, whereas others sit down and have to plot. I can't just, I've listened to low, I've listened to all the podcasts and I know some, especially crime writers have to, perhaps in crime they have to plot, but um, The Nanny is quite a crime based novel and I didn't, I didn't plot that. Um and I had to go back and change things, you know, if they, if they weren't working out. But I find when I'm in, when I'm immersed in the writing, like the ideas will come to me as I'm doing it and characters will come. And sometimes I go back and add a completely new character in that I realise something's lacking and then I'll, I'll visualise this person. So I like to just let it flow as, I, as I'm in it. And I don't mind that that's the way I work. Because when I was trying to write my novel, I used to listen to everybody and try to... Whereas, you know, try I have tried to plot and I have tried to do that. And that's where I got stuck at the 30,000 words on December Girl. I had it all plotted out and I couldn't do it. It was like homework every day, you know, that I had to, oh, I have to do this, that part of the story today. Whereas for me, the creative part and the fulfilling part is like going off in your brain and at the end of it going, God, that was interesting. Like, it's nearly you know, like going back to what you were saying about college and journalism. Uh, that it's too structured. Too structured. Yeah, interesting. I don't like it, you know. I'm quite structured in my work day and everything like that because, you know, you have to deliver. But I think the part... For me, what creative writing is just letting your brain go, 
and be creative and um, and I know I'm not knocking anyone that does that I know that's what works for them it just doesn't work for me the plotting and I'm always intrigued by the fact that different things work for, for different people and you say you don't work every day so do you sit down in bursts yeah so I would now when I say don't work I might have spent two hours writing an article for a magazine to promote <laughs> this book you know so yeah. I'm I'm always um, working towards my writing career I suppose but as far as the creative part and sometimes I feel bad about that I think because I was listening to you know recently some of your podcast again and people are like I write every single day and hours a day and I'm thinking does that mean they're better than me like because <laughs> yeah. they're, they've all this extra, extra practice but I just have to be confident in what I'm doing and I, I do it in bursts and then when I edit now I'll edit for hours and hours I could sit in the chair for eight hours but when I'm writing creatively I, I can't do it that way and how long is it taking you now to write a book how long was Adele for example well, Adele was probably a year and a half because of the research involved um, but it, yeah, but actually it, there weren't that many rewrites with Adele. I seemed to have gotten, because I'd worked with my editor before, I knew what way she worked and what she liked and everything. So, um, in fact, there were very little edits on this when I handed it in. Which is um, great. I couldn't believe it. Like, yeah, I wasn't expecting that. So, um, I think I've more have just worked out what way I write and what way a published or a book that ready is ready to be published needs to be. So, that was that was very nice kind of feedback this year that I got. You've also written a play in the past, as we said, Chop. So was that <laughs> quite different to novel writing? Um, it's just like writing dialogue scenes. So I love dialogue. Um, I also do a bit of spoken word and things. I'm always trying to, and I'd love to get into script writing as well. So when I'm not writing my novels, I'm trying to work on other creative writing pursuits because it fascinates me all. The only thing I don't seem to be able to do really is poetry or have a flair for, you know, but yet spoken word is poetry. So, um, the the play came about and the play was based on our fascination with murder and crime. Your fascination with no, murder and society. crime. No, <laughs> society. I don't, well, I do. I love my true crime things, but just the entertainment and, and the, the play was based on a murderer who writes a book about his crimes and tries to get it published and it was a look at our fascination with them, with crime as, as entertainment. So that's where that came, you know, and it was, it was so much fun. It was a comedy, really. So, um, and I wrote that funny. I started that, my daughter was quite ill in hospital. She was only three weeks old and, um, she was in the hospital she was fine like she just had this short kind of illness and I was writing it beside her bed so I tend to write in moments of it, it was is, an outlet it was an outlet yeah and I got that done and I sent it off and then when we went to see it she was 12 weeks old and we went and she was down the back you know and with my little three year old and that as well so it's just it was like I had all this family stuff going on but I had all this writing success happening for me as well so you just had to go with it and I loved it you know and you're talking about um you know, in terms of, of writing plays and writing novels. And, and the play was quite different to the novels in terms of one was a comedy and the novels are, are historical fiction. Will you try any other genres? Um, do you mean with novels? With novels, yeah. Um, I wouldn't say so. Um, right. I might move around the decades or move around timelines. Um, I, um, for short stories, I've written some contemporary short stories, but the novel hasn't drawn me yet in contemporary. So I think for me, um, history, historical fiction is where I'm at. And I, f- I just, it'd be more moving through the ages rather than coming up to contemporary, I think. So what's next on the agenda? Um, so I've another novel on the go. Um, it's, I'm nowhere near sitting down to write it yet, but I have my story, which is the main thing. Um, and it's set in Victorian London, um, which is something that's very familiar to us with Dickens and, uh, you know, all our kind of... Uh, there's so much kind of TV drama and everything set in Victorian London and I loved um, Taboo was I don't know if you saw I, I, I'd watch a lot of TV as well as reading um, so 
that was set in um, the 1700s London but I'm drawn to that darkness um, and this is about a crime gang that was female led in the in Victorian and again I haven't seen it written about so that's probably going to be my next one and how far into it are you? Zero <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's in your mind I, I'm reading I'm researching it and before we let you go then have you I suppose any advice for, for other aspiring writers or anybody listening? My advice would be just to find your own way because you can study everybody look at how everybody does it but until you find your own way that works for you 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 know you won't get there you, you don't you know play your own furrow um i'd also say i think visualization is kind of a was a big one for me that um i knew i wanted to be published i knew i wanted to write a book and a few years ago that was i was nowhere near that but most nights going to bed i would think about it like i would picture the book picture getting an email picture signing with an agent picture winning a book award all all that type of visualization i think that's very important in your for your subconscious to believe you'll get there well nicola cassidy thank you for joining us here on inside books and you'll find nicola's book adele in your local bookshop now the next episode of inside books will be out soon just keep an eye on our twitter feed for details the handle is at inside books i or e and if you want to hear other episodes just search for us on the various audio platforms and don't forget to leave us a rating or a view i'm breeda Until next time, keep reading. Inside Books is a unique media production 